Hi guys, happy Monday. Um, Before I get into my episode with Angie, which is amazing, she's just an absolutely incredible person that I am so lucky to have gotten to know. Um, I wanted to just touch on like three things. I think it's three. Uh, The first is a reminder that my podcast and this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, I specifically want to highlight them because they are, as you know, the largest online counseling um, center or what have you. And I think right now therapy is something that's definitely been on my mind. And just I'm so grateful for my therapist and to have someone um, to spend 45 minutes a week talking to. And so I just really wanted to plug them and let you guys know that with my code, you can get 10% off your first month, um, which is huge because they're already such a more affordable option than traditional therapy. And the more I've just like been thinking about them, it's really just a great way to dip your toes into like counseling world and therapy um, without having to worry about the stigma that unfortunately still surrounds, um, you know, going to see someone which is so sad but luckily I just read a a, um, article in the times about how COVID-19 is or the pandemic is a time where actually mental illness is um, becoming destigmatized which is exciting but anyways I'm getting sidetracked if you go to trybetterhelp.com slash zoe that's trybetterhelp h-e-l-p dot com slash zoe z-o-e you'll get 10% off your first month And yeah, they can let me know what you think. Um, And then again, before I dive into the episode, I just wanted to quickly, I don't know, I was having kind of a shitty day um, to say it lightly. And I I don't know, I feel like I just have the responsibility to share that with you guys because I want to be real. Um, But then as I was taking a shower, as always, I like have my shower thoughts And I was kind of just like, you know, you know, like when one thing happens and you're like, oh, that was weird. Like that, that didn't help my day. And then another thing happens. You're like, really? Like what is happening? And then a third thing happens and you're like, okay, what is up there? Like, what are they doing to me? Why me? Well, like boohoo. Start being like, it's like, it's Mercury in retrograde. Like why is everything just happening on this Sunday? That's making me feel like shit. Um, and so I was feeling really down, went on a run and then again, shower thoughts. And I was like thinking back to this episode with Angie and just how much shit she has dealt with and powered through. And again, I know everything's relative, but thinking about how much she powered through and, and had to deal with and like still came out so strong. It's so beautiful and so wonderful made me be like, wow like screw everyone else who's made me feel like crap today because I have it pretty damn good and I'm so thankful for everyone in my life who has made me feel appreciated and valued and yeah I just wanted to (laughs) say that really quickly because it's been on my mind and um yeah without further ado though I want to share Angie's story with you all Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. 
today. I am so excited to be here with Angelica Torres, who is an actress, model, and star of season two of Pose on Netflix. (laughs) Yes. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much, Zoe, for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. This is so exciting. Um, So just to give my listeners a little bit of background information, if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself, where are you from? How old are you? Where'd you grow up? What's your story? Cool. So I am 34. I am a Latinx trans female, originally born and raised in Manhattan, um, more specifically Spanish Harlem. Um, And yeah, it's been a crazy 34 years of a ride of this life. Um, I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was very, um, very hyper-masculine. And so as, as a trans child that was assigned male at birth, there were a lot of expectations, uh, both inside and outside of my house to present very masculine, which was just never me that those that was never my soul was always female um i've always i've always identified with with being a female um my feminine spirit my feminine soul uh everything about me has just always been feminine and regardless of how i tried to hide that and regardless of how how much i was abused uh into uh, sort of adhering to being what everybody else wanted me to be. Unfortunately, I just couldn't do that. It wasn't, it wasn't ever an option for me. So, yeah. So I guess like kind of further talking about your childhood, when, um, when did you first, I guess, experience or experience if I have this correctly like gender euphoria like when did you first know that you were identifying mostly with everything female and how did your family react to that you know just um just discovery yeah so uh as early as I can remember I've always identified with um with femininity uh I know earlier on in in my life, um, I always used to attribute it to liking the color pink and liking um, Barbies and and girl clothes, all of that. But all of that is so superficial. Um, Those are possessions, really, and and colors. Um, For me, it went a lot deeper than that. I was predominantly raised by women. I, um, it's so, it's so, it's, it's hard to put into words, uh, how exactly I knew, but everyone around me kept telling me like, you're a boy, you're supposed to like these things. You're supposed to like those things. You're supposed to present like, like masculine and like all of the other boys. And that was just never me. I always march to the beat of my own drum, as they say. And uh, my beat just so happened to have a little switch in it, a little femininity in it. And um, 
that that was just never something that was fully embraced in my household. Um, so uh, Lisa, uh, my mother, for all intents and purposes, uh, I dealt with a lot of emotional abuse from her, from my family members, uh, my immediate my immediate family is Catholic. My, and Lisa's father, my grandfather is a born again Christian. So you can imagine how, how that is. And so there was a lot of societal pressure uh, for me to present in a way that I just didn't. And I, I don't, believe there was ever a time when I actually disclosed to to my blood relatives like hey I think that I'm trans or hey I I, I know you're telling me that I'm a boy but that's not something's not aligning inside of me something is not aligning with that narrative and so but now that I know a little bit more, there were signs, like there were, there were signs that, that told me that my, my blood relatives would not be supportive if I were to outright say that, uh, to say that, you know, Lisa, mom, I'm, I'm a girl. Um, I, one of, one of my earlier memories from childhood, um, uh, I was playing dress up with my my sister, and you know, as kids do, I put uh, a t-shirt on my head and pretended like it was long hair, and I was you know like flipping it all over, and I had these little like clip-on earrings from from her one of her dolls. And we were just playing; we were kids, and um, Lisa had called me from the living room, and so I ran out, completely forgot that I'd have the earrings on and, and the t-shirt on my head. And I swear the way that, that her and my stepfather looked at me, like I still, I still, I still remember it. Like it's, it's, it's one of those like earlier, more traumatic moments in my life. Um, that I recall, it was, it was almost a look of disgust and shock, confusion, but mostly disgust. And, um, you know, and there were so many more uh, examples of that, uh, of those times, but that's definitely one of my earliest memories of expressing my femininity and there being very clear signs like this is not allowed or this is not going to be accepted in the house that I'm that I'm living in wow i i mean i can't imagine and it you're you know at that time you're already going through so much internally like i imagine um and kind of with this like self discovery and then to have no support. That's, that makes the journey even harder, but probably Absolutely. made you very strong as a child. Like 
you know? I mean, that's, that's what folks say to me. Um, because I, I have been very, uh, very transparent about my journey and I'm, and I've only just started using the word abuse in terms of what I experienced in my household, maybe like two or three years ago, because when you're growing up, especially in a Latinx household, uh, in the projects, every, everyone gets hit. Everyone gets yelled at, uh, whether publicly or privately, like we, we all kind of got hit. That's just what happened to us. Um, but as I started growing up and, you know, looking at certain behaviors that I had and certain behaviors that my blood relatives perpetuated on me because of my femininity, because of who I was and how I presented, I, I was like, wait a minute, this, this is abuse. Like, uh, and I try to put myself in, um, in somebody else's position. So kind of like looking, looking at my situation from the outside, like kind of removing myself. And so it's like, if someone were telling me uh, my story, but it's actually their experience to me, I'd be like, oh my God, you were abused. You were absolutely abused. Like to to be to be hit because um, I I also remember when there was a time I was uh, uh, eating a cherry blow pop. Those were like my favorite candy ever as a child, and um, uh, my lips got red. And uh, Lisa thought that it was lipstick and she slapped me so hard that she actually split my lip um and she's like she she was just like why are you wearing lipstick and as I started to cry I said it's not lipstick it's I'm it's I literally had the the blow pop in my hand um and she was like take it off I'm like there's nothing to take off. So, you know, again, just those little moments of, you know, I'm not going to be embraced if I just outright come out and say that, that I'm actually a female. So I remember on the grapevine panel, you talking about how, when you were a teenager, you had kind of this internalized transphobic violence. Do you Mm -hmm. think that that was due to the violence that you experienced as a child? Absolutely. Um, so I, I went to the Harvey Milk High School. It's um, the nation's first fully accredited LGBTQIA plus high school in New York. It's, it's located on Astor Place. And so so um, I was very, I was very blessed to have even gotten into that school uh, because that's, that's where I learned about trans identities and, you know, I was able to put a name to what it was that I was feeling my entire life. And I started, I started uh, noticing, and this is so sad to say, but a lot of the girls in my school, the trans women and uh, trans girls in my school, 
for sex workers. Um, and they had gotten into, they had gotten into it for survival sex work. Um, a lot of them, some of them are homeless. Some of them were living in shelters because that's just what happens to trans people. We are often ostracized from our families. We're, we're kicked out. We're cut off. We have little to no support. And so I was so adverse to, to that. I was so adverse to uh, the idea that, um, that because I'm a trans female, that I would then have to be a sex worker or be treated a certain way by society because there's, there's definitely a stigma in society that all trans women specifically are sex workers. Mm -hmm. And I just used to get so frustrated about that because as early as like 16 years old, when I started presenting as more femme, I had like grown men approaching me, uh, asking me how much um, which is still crazy to me. And I still, I still get these questions on like, on dating apps all the time. Um, because I disclose that I'm trans on, on my profiles, men immediately, they won't even say hi. They'll just say how much they just assume that I'm a sex worker. And so I was very resistant to um, to my trans sisters. And also there, there's, there's this expectation of hyper femininity. Mm -hmm. So I went from like one extreme to the other. I went from being expected to be hyper masculine to then these expectations of, um, you know, I have to be hyper femme and I have to wear skin tight clothing and I have to look a certain way and I have to have certain surgeries. Um, there was a lot of judgment from my trans sisters on what I should do with my own body. And, and it, it's just, it's crazy. And it, it, it went on from my teen years well into adulthood, these unsolicited opinions of what kind of like facial surgeries I should have um, and what, how I should modify my body so that it's more femme. And all, all of that judgment from my trans sisters, I, I was just, I was just like, why are you doing this? Why are you perpetuating this sort of, of violence on me because it, it did feel violent it felt judgmental it felt aggressive it felt violent and so me I, I was just always like very soft dainty femme and a lot of the girls were very loud and in your face and um like the bravado it was it was very present and I've I've often struggled with um, with being very insecure about myself. So I, I tend to be like a little more passive, a little more demure. And I think seeing a lot of my trans sisters being so loud and extra was, um, something that I judged, uh, without, without appreciating it 
from afar or or understanding why they were presenting like that. So yeah, there, yeah. there's a ton of internalized transphobia. There's transphobia everywhere. Um, we experience transphobia, but also a lot of trans folks experience internalized transphobia as well. Yeah, one thing I I found so interesting um, right right after I listened to the, your panel, I watched Disclosure on Netflix, which I would one hundred percent recommend. It's brilliant, brilliant. I made my parents watch it too, like the next weekend, and so good. It, it's just it's crazy because a lot of what um, the trans women on the on the doc- documentary talk about mm-hmm. is how you're kind of pushed into this like needing to be hyper feminine because mm-hmm. of a lot and so much of it it's due to media and how yep. you know in movies some of the actresses were saying like I've been you know I've been cast as a prostitute like five times and Same. yeah and, and like just how that's the assumption quote unquote but mm-hmm it just removes your complete like self-identity and it has, and just makes you a, a like a character. But that's yeah. just, so even though like, a yes, ca- it's not true. even a character, a caricature. Yeah, a exactly. Caricature a caricature. Of, of this, of, of some human. And sure. Some of like, some of the girls are like that, but we're all so vastly different. We all have different personalities. Um, it's just, it's so, it's so crazy to me. But what I, what I found so uh, revolutionary about Disclosure is I was better able to understand how media has perpetuated all of these stigmas and these stereotypes about trans people and who they are and how, and what they look like. Because as we were looking at, as we were watching uh, Disclosure, you see a couple of a um, couple of the actor portrayals and some are cis men dressing up as women like and it's very clear like they're cisgender men uh they were assigned male at birth and they uh, as adults they adhere to that they they feel in their hearts that they're men but dressing up in wigs and making a mockery of themselves and so then society sees all of that and then mirrors that that type of um, mocking tone towards us. And now, now we're in a time where trans, trans women, especially Black and Latinx trans women, are being murdered by men of color, uh, cisgender men of, men of color, um, because, of, because of these stereotypes. Um, and because of the idea that trans women especially black and latinx trans women are shameful and sinful and disgusting and revolting and all of these things media has perpetuated that uh the patriarchy has perpetuated that the system um hyper masculinity and a, a fragile male a fragile masculinity all of it all of it has just um it's like we're at war. It, it feels like we're at war. Um, and 
like even even this week there's been three uh three black trans women that were murdered there hasn't been a week that has gone by in the past couple of months where a, a trans woman hasn't been murdered but it's not reported so it's all through it's all through our community so we all because that's all we have right so like the media is not covering it. The media tends to misgender a lot of trans women. The families misgender the trans women and decide to use their their dead names, so the name the names that they were given at birth instead of their chosen names. Uh, it's just a lot. It's so much. Yeah. So much. Gosh, and it that's actually something else I wrote down it, because there's just so. There's so many layers to it, which mm-hmm. I don't think I even had scratched the surface of until I started, you know, listening to the grapevine and then watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating how I didn't, I don't think I fully realized how much of these murders of trans women were kind of rooted in our racist history and mm-hmm. how it's because masculinity is so valued in the, you know, black community and the POC mm-hmm. community that it, a lot of, you know, that a lot of those communities consider trans women as rejecting the mm-hmm. like male archetype. And yep. so I, it, it just like blew my mind because you know, we're, we're marching for Black Lives Matter and we're saying Black Lives Matter, but there's also the, the caveat that, oh, wait. Except we're being heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I that, just, that's where, that's where um, uh, a lot of my community members and allies, we've started using hashtag all Black Lives Matter because trans, trans people, Black trans people, have been excluded from the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, period, point blank, simple, like we, Black trans women have absolutely been excluded from the narrative. And um, I look at people like Sean King, who is very much, however problematic he is, might be whatever, but you know, he is an activist and he, does call a lot of attention to a lot of racial injustice, especially with black folks. However, he's only, to my knowledge, and I might be wrong about this, but to my knowledge, he's only ever posted about one black trans woman that was murdered. In the entire, in the years that I've been following him and following his work, and it took, um, uh, one of the co-stars, the non-binary actor, India Moore, to call upon Sean King and ask him to speak about, about this murdered trans woman. But he never, and again, I could be wrong, but he never talks about murdered Black trans women. And it's just, it's very reminiscent of how the patriarchy, misogyny, racism has infected every society. And 
it's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And it, it's also just ironic because Stonewall and all of these huge movements were started by the black trans community. Black and brown and Latinx trans women. Absolutely. Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and Miss Major Griffin Gracie were on the front lines. And there's so, there's so many uh, cisgender white men that want to take that away from those trans women. Like, oh, they, they got there later on in the night. They weren't even there. And all this. I'm like, listen, historically, Black, Brown, and Latinx trans women, we are the loudest. We're in your face. We show up immediately. Don't play, don't play in our face like, like those women were not integral to the Stonewall riots. Don't do that. Because, you know, typically, cisgender white men always want to, you know, take, take up all the space and all of the credit and it's like, no, don't, like, you cannot take that away from our trans elders. You cannot take that away from us. Like, the, yeah. they were the archetype. They were the blueprint for, for activism. And what always, oh, my God, have you ever seen um, Sylvia Rivera's speech at Washington Square Park? Yes, I think so. I it breaks my heart every time. It breaks my heart every time. So for the viewers that, that haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go watch it. Um, uh, Sylvia, um, she, gets up, she gets up on stage, practically has to, to fight her way on stage and is just booed by a crowd of predominantly cis white folks. Um, and she, she is nearly in tears she she's like i have fought for you i i've had my nose broken i've been beat up i've been arrested and i've done it for you i've done it for all of you for all of you for the gay rights liberation movement and the way that she was treated breaks my heart and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't there. So I don't, I don't know exactly what it was like and, um, and the, uh, what Sylvia, like all, all that encompassed, uh, Sylvia Rivera. I don't know about all of that. However, I do, I do know that she was a, a homeless sex worker trying, trying to survive in a world that was hell-bent on tearing her down and destroying her just because she was a Latinx trans woman. And same, same thing with Marsha P. Johnson. You know, despite all the odds against them, they still fought tooth and nail for the gay rights liberation movement. And it's, it's like cis, cisgender people could care less. Yeah, and and it's just crazy how only now am I hearing those names talked about more mm -hmm. in, in 2020, which is like, mm -hmm. I don't even know how many years later, but I think- Decades. Yeah, so like so many decades. And I just, I think what's also fascinating, kind of going back to the media part, mm -hmm. is 
you know, on one hand, you have the very outright physical violence and, Mm -hmm. you know, murder of trans women. Mm -hmm. And then, but you also have this conditioning of our society to, to be, to like, not want to, I don't even know, just really to be disgusted by trans women and to reject Mm -hmm. because of media and because of, you know, whether it be like the Alfred Hitchcock films where it's always like a man dressed up as a woman and then being mm-hmm. like, or, or someone, it, it's like, okay, they're either these crazy serial killers yep. or Jerry Springer show where he's, or like a, um, even, even I remember watching Disclosure and someone like Oprah, who's, you know, if there's going to be someone like, who's looked well, like, uh, looked as a great figure, it's Oprah. But when she's interviewing these trans women, all she asks is like vulgar things. Um, I was on Oprah. Oh, really? I was on Oprah in 2007 and I will never forget it. And for all the wrong reasons, I am sad to say. Um, so the episode was centering around trans folks and their families. Uh, So uh, my blood relatives would not appear on the show with me, of course, no surprise there. Um, And so I went with a friend of mine, uh, a mentor. And, you know, throughout the interview, uh, I was, we were talking, we were having a discussion and out of nowhere, um, Oprah pulls a rug out from under me. She's, she says to me, so you're a boy with a penis, which makes you a boy. In that exact cadence, tone, uh, and I was just, um, I still get chill, like, that was, it was so long ago. So I'm always like, why does it still bother me so much? Like, why is, why does it still, um, break my heart to, to think about it? But it does like, like everyone else, I idolized Oprah. I, I watched her, her talk show incessantly. And, um, when I initially got called for the episode, I was like, holy shit. Like, this is huge. I'd, I'd been doing a lot of media advocacy work, um, uh, a lot of documentaries and stuff. So my name was out there um, as a trans female. And after that, after that happened, um, I stopped doing media advocacy. I stopped doing any advocacy work at all. Um, I, I was like, I quit. After the episode came out and I had to rewatch it and then I saw all of the comments from like middle America cisgender white housewives commenting with their religious dogma and um, and just straight up transphobic comments. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And yeah, that, that was my experience on Oprah. Holy shit. It's just crazy how even 
you know, that portion of media can be so harmful and even more harmful, mm-hmm. if anything, because it's touching more it, communities and it's, you know, respected. Mm-hmm. I think an, another thing, and this is, I'll stop talking about media, but I, yeah. I want and I encourage everyone to watch both your panel and Disclosure because I was yeah. just like mind blown. Um, it was, and the, the part I thought that was just also, well, one of many things that was so interesting was um, when they talked about how even when there's been, you know, good portrayal of mm. trans characters in shows or like trans women, mm. for example, in like the Dallas Buyers Club or um, the oh, Danish Jared girl, Hill. it's yes. still portrayed by a cis male actor who then gets the Oscar and comes out to accept it with a full beard, like super masculine. And it's like, congrats, you were such a good actor that portrayed a character that ended up, or at least in the Dallas Buyers Club, I never saw Danish Girl, but like basically giving- They both ended up dying. They both ended up dying and they gave in, I I forget the Dallas, uh, Dallas Buyers Club act like the actor oh, Jared, Leto. Jared Leto is like basically gives Matthew McConaughey the idea to you know start being an advocate and then mm-hmm. dies and also didn't really exist in real life which is just like, like did not exist uh, I, I forget I forget um what what the character's name was but yeah that that was a completely fictional character that very well could have been portrayed by a trans actress or actor and um i don't know if you uh you heard but uh the emmy nominations just came out um either yesterday or the day before yesterday post was completely snubbed oh yeah Um, i've been seeing a lot of posts about it really pissed yeah so billy porter um of course that who is brilliant like Here's the thing. Billy Porter is absolutely brilliant and deserving of his nomination, 100%. Um, Nobody can take that away from him. Absolutely not. However, when you have a show centered around Black and Latinx trans women for the first time ever on national television, and it's actually global. Like they 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 play they play it on Netflix like all over the world. And so you have a show as monumental as that. You have a trans female black director, Janet Mock, um, who initially was a writer and and uh Ryan Murphy then uh kind of pushed her into a director role. And a, a writer like Stephen Canales, uh an Afro-Latinx gay male. And these amazing trans and non-binary Black and Latinx actors. And I more specifically want to focus on Angelica Ross's uh, role as Candy on on the series. and I, and I talk about, I, I try to talk about this so much uh, because I, I want people to understand what goes into playing a role like that. And I, I only kind of saw it from, uh, from an outside perspective. Uh, the day that we were shooting uh, Candy's funeral scene, 
which was so hard. It was four days to to shoot that one scene. Um, it visibly took a toll on Angelica Ross, uh, obviously, because it was art imitating life. Because that same week that we were shooting that episode, three trans women, black trans women had been murdered. That same week. And so I give Angelica the utmost grace and praise and props for, for being able to keep it together in the way that she did and to still deliver a deeply heartfelt and beautiful but heartbreaking performance for a community that is actually experiencing this in real life constantly and for the Academy to not recognize Angelica specifically for that is such a slap in the face. Um, And Angelica uh, posted on her page recently um, in tears. It just, it's, oh, it's just so gut-wrenching. It's so gut-wrenching because here here we are, here we are um, in this time when we're finally able to tell our own stories by ourselves. And we're still, it, it still feels as though we're being ignored. It, it's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine it. It's, be, I think, I mean, if you look at the people on the, in the academy. <laughs> like, exactly. It's, exactly. I guess add a little bit more context, but it just, it shows how there just needs to be more diversity everywhere especially in the people choosing the roles Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess on the more like positive side Mm -hmm. how did you find or get the position on pose and I I remember you mentioning um in your video for how are you really that you you know stay positive by being with your chosen family so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that yeah so um I'd initially found out uh, about Pose. Unfortunately, like I, I didn't have any involvement in the first uh, season. I was, uh, I was in corporate America at the time. I was working at Viacom, and so uh, for a really long time, I denied uh, these uh, my creative endeavors. Like I've always wanted to be a performer. I always wanted to be an actor. But uh, as a trans female, I just did not think that that was going to be possible ever uh, because there, there weren't any. And, and even, if, even if they were, we didn't necessarily know about them. One, one of the participants in Disclosure, um, I, God, I forget, I forget her name, but she's so lovely and beautiful, but um, she, she lived a stealth life, so she, she was not disclosing her trans status to anybody. Um, and I hate using the term stealth because it just kind of implies that 
we're hiding something. We're not, we're not hiding anything. We're just trying to survive. Yeah. It's like self-preservation. Exactly. But anyway, um, back then there just weren't, there, there was not any visibility for us in acting. So at that point, and I, I'd always grown up being told that I would never get a job being the way that I was, um, which is, you know, just another abusive tactic. I, um, you know, by my own blood relatives, I was being told like, you're never going to get a job being the way that you are. And so I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> and so, uh, one of my first major jobs, um, was at AIG problematic. It was right after the crash and everything, but I, listen, I was in a position where I was offered the role and I needed a job. So I was like, fuck it. Why not? Um, but yeah, uh, years later on, I'd, I'd had a lot of, um, I've, I've been in ballroom, uh, since I was, gosh, 18, 19 years old, which is what Pose centers around is the ballroom scene here in New York. And, um, immediately after Pose season one came out, I put it out, I put it out there to my community. I'm like, I want to be involved. Like, please let me know when they're having an open call, a casting, whatever. Like I am there, I'm there. I'm, I'm putting it into the universe. And so, um, a bunch of community members had post finally posted about uh, the open call. And I was like, bitch, I'm going like, I am showing up. I am showing out. I am going to be a part of that show one way or another. And it was a dream come true. Uh, I got the call and I, I, it was such a blessing because uh, there were, a, from what I heard, there were way more extras in the first season than there have been in the second season. So I was very blessed and grateful to have gotten in there. And um, yeah, it's just been an amazing experience. In terms of my chosen family, I, I think that that's something that is very common for, for LGBTQIA plus folks. Um, because unfortunately, we're living in a world that is very ignorant towards folks that are not um, you know that that aren't cis white hetero uh, <laughs> excuse me blonde like all of that and so um, yeah you're kind of forced to excuse me you're kind of forced to look for family you're sort of forced to look or like outside of your own household, outside of your own neighborhood, for people that can see you and that love you and embrace you. Um, and who better than your own community members? Now, we all, like every community has its things and not everyone gets along. And um, even as a trans woman, we, or, or trans people, we deal with a lot of transphobia from cis gay men, cis lesbian women. Um, yeah, there. 
I'd, I'd read a, um, a New York Times article about like two years ago. It was um, a cis gay couple, rich, of course, uh, that voted for Trump and are very pro-Trump. I know. It makes That's no weird. <laughs> Like, it makes no sense, and it still doesn't make any sense, but again, they're privileged, whatever. Um, and one, um, one of the, one of the men, like, was posting on his Instagram, like, transgender people are gross. Uh, and my, uh, my friend Marty Cummings, who's an amazing drag performer and running for office, um, uh, they'd kept me abreast of the situation. And so I kind of chimed in. I'm like, why is it that transgender people are gross? Like, why? Why? And never got an answer, of course. But yet, the people that were outright attacking him, of course, he had a response for them. Um, so we deal with so much hatred from everybody, from, from all sides. And it's like people, people just aren't, people don't put themselves in a position to actually get to know us instead of relying upon their biases mm-hmm. and, and just their blind hatred and ignorance. Uh, that's just what I find most of the time, because if you actually, if you actually got to know some of us, then we're, we're pretty fucking dope. Like we're <laughs> Uh, some of us are awesome, amazing people, and we're so talented, um, so kind, and we love life despite what, what life has thrown at us. And yeah, it's just like all of this blind hatred, I, 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 it, it baffles me. It's flabbergasting to, um, to know that people, people hear the word trans and they immediately hate you. Um, especially when in dating, um, uh, whenever, whenever I disclose that I'm trans, it's, oh, I'm not into that. Um, I'm not gay. And I'm just like, oh God, like, and sometimes I have to pick and choose my battles. Sometimes I'm like, sometimes I'm like, do I actually want to educate this person or do I just want to walk away? Most times I just want to walk away because listen, I'm not being paid for the emotional labor of educating all of these ignorant cis men. Yeah. It's too much. I think one thing that's hopeful, and I, I've mentioned this on a couple of episodes is just the generation that is kind of growing up now, I've noticed mm-hmm. like the Gen Z kind of age, mm-hmm. they're just, they, at least from what I've seen is they're just so much more accepting and because they have access to learn on, about this stuff, they're on their own as opposed to just being passed down these, you know, mm-hmm. things from their information and yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm just hopeful that the future will be a lot more, accepting and loving of people exactly how they are and less judgmental. I hope so too. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the end goal really is, um, just let us live shit. (laughs) Just like, let 
let us live, let us breathe. Um, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, um, we don't need your acceptance, but at the very, at the very, like, stop fucking killing us. That, that's, that's where, that's really where trans folks are right now. Like, we're so exhausted. Um, I'm fucking exhausted. I'm, I'm just like, how, how much more, how much more can I, how many more tears do I have to shed? Because like, my friend, uh, my, my chosen family say this to me all the time. They're like, you can't let this burn you out. You can't let this, um, you can't let every single death impact you so deeply. I can't help it. Um, because I, I immediately think that could have been me. That could have been, that could have been one of, uh, one of my chosen family members, you know, like it's so hard not to take these these things personally when you see yourself in these in these women yeah you know like at the end of the day we're just we're just human beings and some people just can't grasp that some people just refuse to accept that we're just human beings trying to live our lives like it's 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 like the kkk you know, they, they refuse to accept that anyone that is not white is intelligent, that is a human being, that is worthy of existence. It's just, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Like, it blows my mind. Yeah, I just, it's why more and more people, I hope, listen to this and, you know, it gives them at least, I hope, a sliver of what it's like to get to know someone who yeah. identifies as something different than what they do. Or exactly. I hope so. <laughs> so I always wrap up with a couple of questions. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I really need a better way to preface it, but they're from the New York Times now, and they're fun. So the first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? So many things. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh so God, so many things. Um, um, my mind immediately always goes to, um, to when Lisa, um, my mother, uh, when I when I was eighteen, um, I was dating someone that I'd yet to disclose to. However, like I do, I do believe that he knew. Um, I wasn't even on hormones at the time. I've always been a, a bit androgynous, so I get that part. Um, where people, uh, where I have been very cis-assuming for some folks, um, but you know, we were dating for a couple of weeks. So like, I'm pretty sure he knew. But anyway, he came to visit me um, at the house that I grew up, that I was living at at the time where I grew up. And Lisa found out about it and, um, and made, made it as though I was passing myself off as a woman. And so she wanted to make sure that I wouldn't be able to to pass myself off as a woman anymore. So, um, 
she forced me to cut my hair off. My hair had been um, probably like about there. Um, and my hair was, my hair was my identity, a part of my identity. Um, I'd been denied the opportunity to grow my hair out for so long. Um, like it, it was torture every single time that, that Lisa would drag me to, to a barber. Um, and I would sometimes beg her, I'm like, please don't, I just want to, I just want to grow my hair out. Like it's, it's on my body. How is it that I can't control like my own body? And, um, yeah, she, she forced me to cut my hair off and I'd had a, a situation where, um, right after that, I'd, I was a cutter at the time. I, I self-harmed at the time and I cut my wrists. Um, whether, whether the intent was to kill myself or whether it was just, you know, me doing self-harm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I did, I, I did think to myself like, well, if I bleed out, then, oh, well. Um, like I was just so distraught. Um, and then I was the next day because Lisa was aware that I was self-harming. Um, uh, she'd asked to see my wrists and I showed her and she basically, uh, forced me to go to, um, to Lenox Hill. Um, and they locked me up <laughs> and, um, I didn't, I was there for a few days. Um, and once I'd gotten out, I was able to get into a transitional living program, um, the following Monday. So I was discharged on a Friday and unfortunately I had to stay in that house for the weekend, pack up my stuff. And, um, the following Monday, I made the move into the transitional living program. So, um, yeah, that, that when, when I, when I, when I think about my strength, um, and times that my strength was truly tested, um, I think, I think of that. I think of that situation. Yeah, I think sometimes are the times we realize that how strong we are is coupled with looking back on moments where we felt so weak. Mm-hmm. And like and just saying if like if I could get through that, I can get through anything. Yeah. It just, it sucks because as, as trans people, we have to go through so much. We, we face joblessness. We face homelessness. I've, I've been homeless twice in my life and I'm only 34. So it's like, you know, I've, we live such long lives in the short time that we do get to live. So emotionally, I feel old as hell. Like I I feel like I'm a hundred and something, uh, because of the things that I witnessed, the things that I've seen, the things that I've gone through. Um, but yeah, uh, people are always saying like, you know, you're strong. Like you've been through so much. You're strong. I'm like, 
Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. But you need a break. <laughs> Early. I need a vacation, a year-long vacation. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by? Oh, this is where my nerdiness comes out. So when I was when I was growing up, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was like my everything. Sarah Michelle Gellar was like the go-to standard of like female uh, identified power, and um, Joss Whedon was just brilliant with with that entire show. Um, and I remember that when I believe it was the, the fifth season when the technically it was supposed to be the series finale where Buffy dies. I was not, I was not happy about this, <laughs> but I was so upset. I was like sobbing. Um, but she ends up dying like three or four times. Anyway, uh, she, she tells um, Dawn, her sister, because the world is coming to an end. She, uh, Buffy says to Dawn, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. And I don't know why that particular um, quote resonates with me so much, but it is so true. Like to, it, especially as a trans woman, that is the hardest thing is for us is to live in this, in this world, in this space, knowing, um, knowing, that we have so many odds stacked against us, but we still persist. Like Buffy says to Dawn, like, you know, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it, live for me. Um, yeah, like I get chills thinking about it. Like, you know, cause it's so true. It's so true, and we have to face so much. Uh, we have to face our own demons, our own vampires, and and warlocks and shit. And yeah, that's kind of my mantra, as nerdy as it is. <laughs> I actually haven't seen the show, so I sh- I should watch it. <laughs> it's so good. It was so revolutionary, and and for its time as well. I'll definitely give it a watch. What do you love most about yourself? Oh, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that question. Oh, what do I like most about myself? Um, that's a hard one, especially, uh, I am very self-deprecating and, you know, with all of my mental illness and stuff like it's it's often hard for me to sometimes pinpoint anything that I like about myself um actually I just I I just posted on my my story on Instagram uh the definition to um humanism and actually I'm, I'm gonna pull it up because i I, I was thinking about that. I was like, I, I kind of consider myself to, to be a humanist. Um, I believe in humanity. I believe, I just, it, yeah, it's, uh, the definition is, uh, of humanism is an outlook or system of thought 
attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, empathize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. And that word is just kind of uh, stuck with me for a very long time because I always want to see the good in people. And I always want to believe that there's some sort of good in, in everybody. Although I, I often have to accept that there's, sometimes there's not. Uh, we have a sociopath like, <laughs> in, in office right now. Like, you know, like, I don't think there's any humanity in that man whatsoever. This, that, and that's just my opinion. But, um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm for humanity. I, I, I want, I want human beings that are good in this world. I want, I want them to, to live and to thrive and to lead happy, successful lives and, not have to experience the kind of shit that I, that I experienced in life. Nobody. Yeah. I often say I I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish my, my upbringing on my worst enemy, but, um, I might wish it on someone like Trump. Yep. (laughs) I said that too. I'm like coronavirus. coronavirus. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you've read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It's. Oh, wait. Why does that sound so familiar? It's gotten a lot of press, and it, I just read it. It actually came out this year, and it just, oh, it's so, so amazing. And one thing she says is she talks about how her anxiety gave her, oh, my gosh, I'm going to forget the quote. It's how basically how because she's had so much anxiety in her life, it's mm-hmm. made her very – um, like empathetic to the world and being able to feel everyone else's pain. And yes. that just resonated me, with me so much because I, yeah. I've always suffered with anxiety and I've just, the weight of the world feels so heavy sometimes. I think for people, I mean, I can't even imagine if you've gone through what you've been through. It's just makes you very aware of like other people's suffering. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I, I absolutely agree with that quote. Like I've always felt like I was an empath that I could feel people's emotions very deeply. And I, and I think that's partially, um, that's a part of my upbringing because I, I was always, um, taught to care about what everybody else thought about me and what everybody else felt about me instead of, uh, just being happy with myself and worrying about myself. Um, I wasn't taught to do that. And so, and also just with the human suffering that I've experienced, um, it does make me more empathetic to, to other folks and, and what they experience. So, yeah, I found the quote actually. It's oh, awesome. the anxiety that makes it difficult to exist in my own skin also makes it difficult to exist in a world where so many people are in so much pain. And that mm-hmm. makes me a relentless activist. Yep. Period. Yeah. Cannot have said it better myself. Cannot what, have said it better myself. 
When is your birthday, by the way? I'm really into astrology. February 23rd. I'm a Pisces. Okay, I can I can see that. I think. Yeah, totally. I'm I'm a very like textbook stereotypical Pisces. Like I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm a dreamer. Um, uh, try I try to be joyful. You know, like all all the things that uh, a Pisces is. I think, oh, Lennon's also a Pisces. Okay, I just looked it up. <laughs> there you go. There I was trying to hear a sign. Yep. That's so funny. But also, that makes so much sense. That, that checks out. Um, and my last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? Ooh, how do I find solace in the city? Um. <clears throat> my community they're seeing um they're seeing those of us that that have had to survive so much violence and and danger like to see so, uh, a lot of my trans and non-binary folks of color doing their thing thriving being beauty influencers and actors and producers writers uh, to see them thrive that gives me solace that that gives me like a sliver of hope um and this often bleak world where you know we're faced with the, the many murders of of trans folks to see even uh, strangers, like uh, trans folks that I don't even know, uh, surviving and thriving, that that makes me feel as though, okay, maybe I can do that too. It gives, it gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of comfort to know that, um, that they're just doing the damn thing, that they're, they're working, they're thriving, they're happy. Um, yeah, that's what brings that. me thoughts in the city. So thank you so much for speaking with me and I, and just being such an incredible like role model for so many people. Where can all my listeners follow you, support you? Are there any like organizations that you're really passionate about? Plug yeah. everything. Yeah. So um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, it's at Angelica, A-N-G-E-L-I-C-A-C-T-O-R-R-E-S. So it's basically my name and middle initial. So Angelica C. Torres on Instagram and Twitter. Um, also, uh, I absolutely appreciate donations. If anybody uh, is so inclined, I'm also uh, at Angelica C. Torres on Venmo. Uh, I believe on Cash App, I'm the Angelica C. Torres. So just put the in front of my entire name. Um, in terms of organizations, there is the Ali Fournay Center, uh, which I'm a former resident of. They're an amazing LGBTQIA plus um, homelessness organization. So they have um, emergency shelters and transitional living uh, programs for the community members that, that have been cast out of their homes. Also, there's a uh, uh, Princess Jeanne Place, uh, J-A-N-A-E, 
they're very similar to Alifornia Center where uh, they offer housing for trans, uh, especially Black and Latinx trans women. Um, and the Hedrick Martin Institute, uh, which I talked about earlier. Um, and yeah, watch Pose. Definitely. And disclosure, and disclosure. <laughs> and disclosure. So amazing, so yeah. good. I actually spoke with uh, Javon Martin. Um, yeah, that. that's my dad. <laughs> well, one of my dads. <laughs> um, we're both in the ballroom scene, so uh, I've been in different houses, uh, which obviously are made up of parents and a family structure. And so Javon was, is one of my house fathers. No way. Yeah, because I, I asked him to do the um, How Are You Really uh, mm -hmm. a campaign or, coalition, or collection. So mm -hmm. I was speaking with him, and, um, and he's passing me all, along the message for other people in, uh, at, at JP. So he's Good. so nice. And he's, he's Mr. Trans USA, I think? Yes, uh, New York. Mm -hmm. New York. Amazing. Yep. Well, thank you so much again, Angie, and Zoe. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. I'm just going to stop the recording.